uh, just like almost randomly, as far as I remember, I just looking for some inquiry in Haikata. And um, when I heard that Maharaj was coming to my native city in France, I just reached out and I said, would you like to come to Mayapur? And um, from my personal reason for inviting Maharaj was that the, the perspective on <clears throat> quite some topics related to Bhakti, that can, for me it's a, it a big, triggered a big change in my life personally. Um, in terms of, it's all based on Shastra and experience and wisdom and common sense and like common sense in the sense of like what most people <coughs> think but not everyone says it loud and it never deviates but still everyone can relate to it that's what i the way i feel and then so i went through the whole series and then through the whole every single video that you basically have on youtube i think and then i bought the book that i highly recommend which is um, it goes even deeper in certain topics and it also summarizes certain other i mean that's again my personal take on it uh, so today, I actually suggested the topic based on Maharaj's uh, lectures. It's, uh, how do you pronounce it? Chamat, Chamatkai, right? I felt it was a topic that most of us can relate to, like how we can keep the sense of wonder, how we can keep being amazed by bhakti, because sometimes as time goes by, we lose this ability to have the feeling that we had <laughs> when we had our honeymoon with bhakti, right? <laughs> so then I will be Maharaj speak about this. I don't really have anything else to say. <laughs> thank you, Maharaj, so much for coming and thank you all for coming. Thank you for bringing Maharaj here. Thank you for saying it. Umagyanatimiranda Syaganam Jana Shalakya Takshwin Litam Yena Tashmin Sri Guravina Maha. Nama Shrestam Manumapi Satriputram Atra Sarupam Rupam Tashagrajamuru Purim Matarim Gustavatim Radha Kundam Gidiburam Maho Radhikamadhavasam Lapto Yashakratita Gripaya Sri Gurum Tanatushmi Vantakalpatarubhyashagripasindubhyayevata Patitanam Pavane Pio Vaishnavibhyanamonama Hilo Dunita Kedaya Bishadaya Pranmilada Modaya Samyakshasavivadaya Rasadaya Chitarapiton Madaya Samyak Bhaktivinodaya Samadaya Madhurya Madaya Sri Chaitanya Dayani Deetavadaya Bhuyadamandro daya Ajanalambita bujo Kanakabadatu Sankirtanaika pitaro Kamalaya takshun Bishwambharo duyavaro Jugadharma palo Vande jagat priyakaro Karunavataro Nilam bodhitate sadasaviraha Epanvitam bandhavam Srimad Bhagavati Katamadiraya Sanjeevayam Bhatiya Srimad Bhagavatam Sadasanayana Ashrupayanai Pujayam Goswami Prabhuro Gadadhara Vibhur Bhuyadmati Kangati 
रासघनमोहानुमूर्तिम विचित्रकेलिमहोत्सवोलाश्रित राधाचरनालोदिताचिराशिखंड हरिं वंदे वृंदवनेश्वरीतवैवदारिंदमृतकमकंदरशोकपूर्ण हृदर्पित मधुपते स्मरतापमोग्रम निर्वापय परमशीतलमाश्रयामीनायपराधलक्षिप्तरंगे कृपाम शरण प्रपानम वृंदेन्मस्ते चरनारविंदम वृंदेन्मस्ते चरनारविंदम श्री सचिनंदन गौर हरि की जय श्री हरि नाम प्रभु की जय श्री दम मायापुर की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमानंद हरि सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू एंड गुड आफ्टरनून गुड इवनिंग आई डोंट नो इफ यू कैन हियर मी फ्रॉम देयर माय वॉइस वाज नॉट सो पावरफुल सो इन केस यू नीड टू गेट क्लोजर you take your liberty for that <coughs> so first of all well deep gratitude for for your presence here as i like always to say every time you have the service of sharing some harikatha it's uh, it's an honor and responsibility for me to have all of you present here today since you are uh voluntarily choosing to invest your valuable time an energy in somehow trusting me you know, somehow opening yourself or whatever i may have to say hopefully not independently so that's in itself a big beautiful opening and commitment so hopefully i may be able to honor that properly harikata is a very uh, active engagement from both both sides i always like to highlight that point that when In a, in a meeting like this, you know, it's not only me here doing the whole show, so to say, but it's a 50-50 equation. Mm -hmm. no? Like I'm talking, but you eventually may be talking and sharing insight, or even if it, that's not the case, just your very presence, if that's from a sincere, open, attentive place, that in itself uh, speaks very loudly, a lot. Even if there are no words, attentive, sincere presence is great contribution to what we are trying to <clears throat> churn together travan and kirtanam is a mutual turning mutual enlightening like bhagavad gita will say that's a very beautiful definition of sadhu sangat given in the chatur shloki we get together to enlighten one another parasparam trying to nourish one another trying to take one another to a higher level of experience deeper level of experience so we need one another that's the point no the process is individual as it's collective mahaprabhu came to bring sankirtan so sankirtan means collective praise of hari collective by our own self we can do kirtan some kirtan some kirtan but sankirtan <laughs> we need each other for that So that's very beautiful. The very definition, implications of the main practice of Mahaprabhu came Sankirtan is telling us 
we need each other for this yagya to be successful. So it's a teamwork. So I'm saying all that basically to tell you, I need all of you for today's meeting. And in part, this whole, the success of this depends on you as well. <laughs> I will try to take my responsibility for sure. So, <clears throat> so Hridayat Chaitanya, as he mentioned, thought of a topic which uh, he considered may be relatable to all of us. And I hope it is. That's why I also agreed to talk on that, which is on the notion of chamatkar. This is a very interesting Sanskrit term, chamatkar, which is basically translated as, we could say, astonishment or wonder. Mm -hmm. And the idea today will be the premise is how to preserve our sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to share a few words from that. In, in my recent book, I write a few pages about that since I consider it's very important uh, to keep us growing, progressing in Krishna Bhakti and to understand the nature of reality in itself, which is ever unfolding, ever evolving and therefore ever inviting to a permanent sense of wonder. And when we lose the sense of wonder, basically we, we lose touch with reality. <clears throat> so, and today's topic is interesting because it's very much connected to, it's very appropriate, I will say, to, <laughs> to start the series of lectures that we may be having throughout this month. It's an interesting moment to talk about chamatkar or astonishment, especially where, where we are here today. Uh, for the last months, I've been traveling a little bit in South, South America, North America, Europe, India, and so on. So it's for me very interesting that I'm landing here, closing like this tour in Mayapur and talking about chamatkar, because in one sense for me, uh, Mayapur is the land, I could say, is the land of astonishment, ultimately, because... In Mayapur, we have Mahaprabhu as the presiding deity, if you want to put it like that. And Mahaprabhu is, I will put it like the god of the ultimate wonder, of the ultimate astonishment, of the ultimate chamatkar, the deity of chamatkar, the istadev of chamatkar. So let me explain me why, what, I'm, what I mean by this, of course. No? So to begin with, there is a very interesting aphorism throughout the Vedic Vedantic tradition, in our tradition in, in Kavi Karnapur's Alankar Kaustuk includes it says Rasa Sar Chamatkar. Rasa Sar Chamatkar, which means the essence of Rasa is Chamatkar. And Rasa in itself is something essential. Rasa will be uh, it's difficult to translate into any other language. You can say mellow, you can say uh, aesthetic rapture, you can say <laughs> the juice of life. <laughs> you know, see what, whatever resonates more with you. So Rasa in itself is saying the juice of life, not the essence of something. And this verse saying the essence of that essence, Rasa Sar, Sar means essence, Chamatkar. So it's the essence of Rasa, the essence of the juice of life. It's an experience of wonder. It's astonishment. So that's a very powerful it's three words, rasa, sar, chamatkar. It's a very powerful sutra, no? like an aphorism that needs to be unpacked. There's lots in that. Like when we say, atata brahma jignasa, satyam param dimahi, even om, 
<laughs> it sounds like, oh, that's it. No, but there's so everything comes from that in one sense. So I'm repeating this Rasa Sarchamatkar because we will be talking about that throughout the lecture. So hopefully you can keep in mind this line. Rasa Sarchamatkar meaning the essence of Rasa, the essence of the juice of life is astonishment. So and one name of Krishna, no, one name of Krishna is Rasa Raj. So Rasa Raj means the king of Rasa. So if Krishna is the king of Rasa, and if the essence of Rasa is Chamatkar, hopefully you follow me, Krishna is Rasa Raj, the king of Rasa, but the essence of Rasa is Chamatkar, then Krishna has to be also the, the king of Chamatkar. Not only the king of Rasa, but the king of astonishment. So whatever he does must create different forms of wonder and awe and astonishment which is basically what keeps us alive. I always recall a quote from Albert Einstein, and we'll be referring to different sources, as you can see. <laughs> and Albert Einstein will say, that person for whom the experience of astonishment is uh, unknown, that person is basically dead. Like, there are many expressions like that in, in the scriptures, in the Bhagavad and also the Bhagavad will will say something similar, etc. She will say, certain person is dead despite that person is breathing. Sometimes the scripture will use this expression, living corpse. <laughs> now, basically to imply, yes, still some air is coming, hands are moving, heart is beating, uh, whatever. But the, the very substance of what it means to be alive it's not being played out. All that we can be as living beings, the aliveness of existence is not present. And that's chamatkar, astonishment. Try to think about situations it was in which each of us have been in astonishment, in wonder. And you are completely absorbed in the present moment. Nothing else matters. You are absolutely captured, absorbed. The mind is not wandering. It's totally fixed. And you are alive. Everything makes sense. That's Chamatkar, a complete absorption and expansion of consciousness, as we'll see. So Krishna is the king of Rasa, and therefore he's the king of Chamatkar, the king of astonishment. If you go through the Bhagavatam, many of his leelas cause wonder, you know, different forms of wonder. I always like to refer to the three main centers of the Bhagavatam, which had to do with the three main relationships that the Bhagavatam is basically portraying, which is Vatsalya, Sakya, and Madhurya. No relationship with Krishna uh, as a parent, as a friend, or as a lover, basically. And there are three main leelas that represent these forms of Chamatkar. No? But for Vatsalya Rasa, one of the main leelas is Damodar Lila. And in Damodar Lila, mm -hmm. we will find a very unique idea of God, if you will. That's why first we have nine cantos preparing us for entering the tenth canto, where God, Krishna appears as God, but actually Krishna is not God. Krishna is something beyond God, technically speaking. Srila Prabhupada will call him the supreme personality of Godhead. I like to say Krishna is not an aspect of God, 
But God is an aspect of Krishna. I repeat it just in case. Krishna is not an aspect of God. But God, Vishnu, Narayan, is an aspect of Krishna. That's shown in the Bhagavatam. But that's an interesting idea. Krishna is, some, is God plus something else. <laughs> so God is Krishna in the office, so to say. <laughs> no? And Krishna is God at home. In the office, you won't behave the same way that you behave in the intimacy of your home. There will be another coach, another way of moving and behaving, another interaction, so to say. So Krishna's in, at home in Vrindavan. That's what the 10th canto is talking about. First nine cantos are preparing, establishing this idea. Krishna's to Bhagavan Soyan. Krishna's to Bhagavan Soyan. Krishna's supreme personality of Godhead. And when you really understand that properly, you start to see Krishna in another terms. You no longer see Krishna as God, but you see him as a friend, again, as a child, as a lover, whatever to be the case. And that's astonishing in itself. That creates wonder. You go to Damodar Lila. Again, in Damodar Lila, you have very unique notions. You hear first Krishna is God, but in Damodar Lila, you have God is stealing, is lying, is about to be chastised, he's afraid, he's crying, and finally he's tired. No. <laughs> so all these notions appear to contradict what to expect from God. No. Generally, our idea of God will be more like almighty. No? But the Bhagavatam also shows God is almighty and all vulnerable at the same time. We're talking today about vulnerability. No? Krishna Vrindavan is very vulnerable. <laughs> But vulnerable not in a negative sense. No? Very vulnerable in terms of being affected by love, by divine love. He's affected to the point again that he's crying afraid of Yashoda. He's running for, but all in the context of love. This is Lila, remember. This is not ordinary action. This is not karma. This is not forced work. This is celebration. Lila means celebration. So that's astonishing. There is Chamat Carter, Krishna being chastised, afraid because of the chastisement and just show that tied to a mortar finally. That's very counterintuitive to the general notion we may have of God. And Krishna comes to break those notions and invite us to a new level of conception. You know? Then we have another center of the Bhagavatam, apart from the Vatsalya center, which is the Sakya Rasa center. And the Sakyarasa center revolves around not the Damodar Lila, but the Brahma Bimohan Lila, the famous Lila where Brahma's foreheads are spinning like crazy. <laughs> and there we find another interesting layer of Chamatkar or astonishment, which is God, before Brahma's illusion, as you know, Brahma witnesses Krishna with his friends <clears throat> nearby the Yamuna having a picnic. So again, the general idea of God is not having a picnic. No? <laughs> we don't generally think in those terms. Oh, God, where is God? Oh, he went for a picnic. No. So Brahma, even Brahma, when Brahma witnessed Krishna having a picnic with the Gopas, he thought this cannot be God. No? He, he saw Krishna in the beginning of creation. So he had experience of who Krishna was. So when but that, that first experience he had was pretty formal. Uh, 
uh, the beginning of creation, Krishna talked more in, 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 in like a guru to Brahma, Shogyan Mudra instructed him and disappeared. So then he saw his guru, Krishna, in a picnic with his friends in full informality, as we know, Krishna eating with left hand, Gopas eating with left hand, breaking all etiquette, Gopas tasting something and telling Krishna, wow, this is so good, you have to taste it. And they give Krishna their own remnants. And Brahma, I mean, Brahma is Bidhi. One name of Brahma is Bidhi, who means he who follows all the Bidhi, all the rules and regulations, very paka, like very perfectly. No? Scriptures say if you perform all the rules of Varna Ashram, which are unlimited, <laughs> if you perform all of them perfectly for 100 lifetimes, you are born as Brahma. So you can imagine how how accomplished Brahma is in following every rule and how to do everything properly. And now he's seeing Krishna and his friends breaking all those rules in the informality of this picnic. So again, Chamatkar, astonishment. Brahma was, the foreheads of Brahma were spinning like crazy. And as we know, eventually Krishna showed himself as the source of Narayan in one of those, the darshan he gave to Brahma. So that's another layer of Chamatkar that Krishna is giving experience of and finally of course we have the madhurya center hmm, of the 10th canto of the bhagavatam and then we have the rasa lila hmm, the rasa panchadhyayi these five chapters of the 10th canto which revolve around the circular dance of love hmm, between krishna and the gopis and again there we may find some very uh, interesting ideas hmm? of who God is. We already have the idea of God as, uh, what to say? Again, in, in the context of Lila, we are not saying this is ordinary, but in the context of Lila, God appearing as apparently as a liar, as a, as a thief, no? as a mischievous person, someone being tied, someone in a picnic. Now in Rasa Lila, we have God as a playboy, as a womanizer, apparently. <laughs> so all this is meant to break all the classical boxes in which we tend to basically understand everything, including God, because we are very expert in that. We are very expert in projecting whatever filters we have and making even God subject to that. No. Anthropomorphism or whatever. No, we, we may project our own human experience. Atmavan manjate jagat, says the Vedas. Whatever is in your mind, you consider everyone else is having that experience. No? The whole of reality is filled, aligned with your particular lens, filter. And that doesn't work like that. So in Rasa Lila, you know, till now I, I mentioned a few words about how some of Krishna's Lila's create Chamatkar for us, may create some astonishment or wonder. But what about Krishna's own Chamatkar? What about God, Krishna, the Supreme God, experiencing astonishment as the essence of his life. So in this Rasa Lila, we find this. This is a very unique insight that our Goswamis have given us. Because as you may know, in Rasa Lila, of course, Krishna is playing the flute, Purnim, autumn season, Krishna becomes inspired, but all the Udipanas, all the stimulants around the environment that inspire him romantically to play his flute and call the gopis, each of the gopis hear their name in the sound of the flute. Although Krishna plays one flute, so to say, but each gopi is hearing their own name being called in that sound of the flute. So they run behind the flute sound 
without thinking it twice, without thinking it once, without thinking and just <laughs> run. Uh, and to, this, to their surprise, when they arrive and Krishna re receives them, basically <laughs> he tells them, return home. What are you doing here? No, it's very late. It's in the middle of the forest. I'm a single guy. So many ladies here. It doesn't look fine on social terms. You have so many chores and responsibilities at home. They must be waiting for you. Of course, the Sanskrit is very tricky in this section because it can mean exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> so you, you can interpret all those verses as Krishna telling the gopis, you don't have any other place to go but here. No, there's nobody else there. You have to be with me. So the gopis were considering the two possible meanings and experiencing some chamatkar, some astonishment, what's going on here? And eventually, of course, they enter into debate with Krishna. That's the Pranaya Gita. They defeat Krishna in debate about we have to stay here. We don't have to leave. <laughs> so the first session of the Rasa Lila begins. But eventually, as we know, Krishna, as mysterious as he is, he disappears. Mm -hmm. Of course, we have this reason in our own tradition. Radha disappeared from the Rasa Lila. Krishna didn't feel enough inspiration without her. She went after her. So on and so forth. I'm summarizing to reach a point. Eventually, all the gopis are running, looking for Krishna. Eventually, they realized Krishna was with someone else. That gopi was Radha. And Eventually, they find Radha being left by Krishna with some particular reason in mind. Mm -hmm. That's how love moves, just, just in case. No? Rupa Goswami says, uh, Love moves in a crooked way like a snake. How does a snake move? Not in straight line, but in zigzag, which means it's unpredictable. You won't know the next move no, of love. So if you want to enter into a life of love, be ready for unpredictability. I'm telling you that now so you don't complain later. No, telling to Krishna that was not in the contract. Maybe it's with small letters, but it's there just in case. No? <laughs> so... So the thing is that, no? so Krishna disappears, the gopis find Radha left by Krishna. They join Shirada, they in, engage in Kirtan in separation from Krishna. That's called the Viraha, eh, sorry, the Gopi Gita. Jayati Tedikam Janmana Braja, and so on. Beautiful. The high of, that's the zenith of the Bhagavatam. And Krishna is witnessing the, gop, the Kirtan of the gopis in separation behind a tamal tree. There is a tamal tree there, and Krishna is kind of camouflaging because his hue, his the color of his skin is like the tamal tree. So he behinds he hides behind a tamal tree. He's kind of camouflaging, merging into it. He he's witnessing the heart of the gopis like blossoming in separation while singing this gopi gita, begging for Krishna's reappearance. So and Krishna hides from the gopis. He will explain that to them after. He will say. I disappear from your sight because I love you. Now, again, what? <laughs> our, our logic will be, but if you love me, you shouldn't disappear. But Krishna will say, I love you, and because I love you, I want the best for you. And the best for you is that your love increases. That's the best thing I can wish for anyone. May your love increase. So Krishna knew, for your love to increase in this situation, I will disappear and invoke the mood of separation. So because I love you, I disappeared. <laughs> so that was the main purpose for Krishna to bless the gopis with their increase of their love. But it is said that 
another purpose came that it was not in his agenda <clears throat> while he was hidden witnessing the kirtan of the gopis and what was that he saw sri radha singing in separation and her heart blossoming to such a degree that krishna behind a tumult tree witnessing that began to wonder what's 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 in her heart what what's her love about what's 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 she experiencing in this moment i don't know and what's the nature of her love what's the beauty she perceives in me and what's the happiness she she derives when perceiving my beauty which basically those three as you may know are the three internal reasons for mahaprabhu's descent and on this whole mayapur now deep down exists because of that in one sense Mahaprabhu's, of course, Mahaprabhu's lily is eternal. It doesn't have a beginning in time. But sometimes our acharyas, our Goswamis, will connect Mahaprabhu's manifestation with this highest point of the Rasa Lila. When Krishna is witnessing the love of the gopis, hmm? um, and he's in Chamatkar. Remember, we are talking about Chamatkar, astonishment. So Krishna is astonished by witnessing the love of Sri Radha. Astonished. And, and he becomes greedy to experience that. Because remember, he's Rasaraj, he has to be the king of Ras, he has to be the king of Chamatkar. He has to taste it all. No? So I must taste what's what's in Radha's heart, Krishna says. No? And that gives rise to Mahaprabhu and, and the whole of Gaur Lila. No? Gaur Lila is very deep, very profound. That's another topic. That that could be a journey without return for talking today so i, I won't go there <laughs> we can talk some other day but gore lila is the deepest of the deepest and gore lila is krishna lila 2.0 so to say as they say nowadays <laughs> you take krishna lila and, and and squeeze it to its very essence and, and that becomes gore lila because in krishna lila there are certain experiences that remain unsatisfied for that krishna cannot experience in vrindavan and that happens in gorlila in, Gaur Lila, in Navadvip. Hmm? and this whole gorlila is hosted here through Navadvip, through mayapur that's why i'm saying now the mayapur is the land of chamatkar the ultimate place to talk about astonishment because this is a place where krishna himself as mahaprabhu comes to satisfy his thirst, his to, to, to satisfy his own chamatkar, his own astonishment in tasting the heart of Srimati Radharani. And of course, we will say, as Mahaprabhu, Krishna was successful, he was able to taste Radhavab, especially that's that's indicated by Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami at the end of the Siksha, at the, at the end of his. The Sikshastagam, his explanation to Sikshastagam, he <laughs> says, the last verse of Sikshastagam was spoken by Radha herself. So by that he implies Mahaprabhu became Radha. Mahaprabhu experienced the fullness of Radha Bhav. But also the fullness of Radha Bhav is an unlimited ocean. So that's why we say there is an eternal Navadvip. There is a Nitya Navadvip. As, as, as we have Golok Vrindavan, our Acharya say there is a Golok Navadvip where Krishna's Mahaprabhu is eternally relishing, eternally going deeper and deeper into Chamatkar, into an experience of wonder. There's no end to his wonder. So that's a beautiful idea. We worship a God that remains in an eternal state of wonder, no? tasting the unlimited flavors of love. So why I'm saying all this, which is some of 
kind of an introduction to my topic <laughs> because Mahaprabhu is the God of wonder, the God of astonishment. And we are Gaudiya Vaishnavs, which means our deity in our Sampradayas, Mahaprabhu. So our God is a God of wonder. So if my, my Istadev is the God of wonder and astonishment, we as followers, we are meant to represent that properly. We are meant to taste that properly. Mm -hmm. By doing the same thing, of course, we cannot taste Radha Baba as Mahaprabhu did, but we can preserve our sense of wonder. As Mahaprabhu is tasting wonder for eternity, in that sense, he's preserving it. Preserve our sense of wonder doesn't mean to taste something and try to keep that the same forever. Preserving the sense of wonder means always experiencing something new. <clears throat> because that's the nature again of love of krishna of reality it's always evolving always new krishna is becoming more krishna at every moment if you want to put it like that <laughs> that's the very definition of the absolute one word in, in the upanishad for the absolute is brahman brahman does not only refer to the impersonal side of the absolute also can apply to the absolute itself and the root, the dhatu in Sanskrit for Brahman is brim. And brims come from brimhati, which means to expand. So interestingly, the essence of the word for the absolute is to expand, in constant <clears throat> expansion. No? Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says something very beautiful in Chaitanya Charitamrita. He says, Krishna's beauty is always increasing. That's why he's called Krishna, the all-attractive. All-attractive doesn't mean... He's so beautiful, but he's always remains in that state. No, he's always becoming more beautiful. So he's saying, Krishna is becoming more beautiful at every moment. And again, Krishna means the all-attractive. So he's becoming more beautiful means he's becoming more Krishna. Krishna is becoming more Krishna at every moment. No? And no limit to that. I know that don't try to get it here because smoke will come here. It goes, it's transrational. But Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami is saying, Krishna is becoming more beautiful at every moment. And the love of his devotees is increasing at every moment to serve that beauty. The devotees are just giving their life to serve Krishna's beauty. So Krishna is becoming more beautiful. The dedication of the devotees is increasing according to the beauty that is increasing. Without limit. And Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says, and the two of them enter into a competition in which none of them accept defeat. <laughs> Krishna's beauty is increasing, the dedication of the devotees is increasing, but nobody is defeating the other. The two of them are like ad infinitum increasing, growing. That's the world we want to enter. That's the reality we want to enter. It's not that Krishna is just one thing. It doesn't change. It doesn't move. Sometimes we have that idea of perfection. Okay, I reached that point, it's perfect. It's always the same, doesn't change, doesn't move. Because many times we want predictability. No? We want things to be predictable, no? In, un, under control. <laughs> if I'm invited to a place where everything will be <clears throat> expanding and there will be a crooked movement of love, which is unpredictable, mm -hmm. for our, if we are control freaks, and generally we are, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll feel like threatened by that. We'll probably say, to be honest, Marat, I don't want to go there. No. That's too intimidating. I don't know what's going on at the next moment. But at the same point, the idea is to reach a place where we don't know 
but we fully trust that whatever will happen is the, the most perfect thing possible. That's the perfection of love. I mean, if you are in a loving relationship, you cannot predict what will happen at every single moment. That will be, that's like a dictatorship. You know? We have to know what's happening. Everything is under control, calculated. That's suffocating. That's not liberating. That's not love. So chamatkar has to do with that. Chamatkar means at every step, astonishment, wonder. Hmm? Hmm? And that's why in this in, in the Sanskrit aesthetic tradition, chamatkar is described as chitta vistar. The effect of chamatkar is chitta vistar, which means an expansion of consciousness. Again, when you are in a situation of wonder, try to recall, your consciousness expands. When you lose that connection, generally consciousness contracts. And that's what we call suffering, basically. Suffering means a contraction of consciousness. Suffering doesn't mean what happens to you. Suffering means a contraction of consciousness. And through that, you perceive whatever happens to you. <laughs> and due to the contracted consciousness, you think, I'm suffering because of what happened to me. No, you're suffering because of the contracted consciousness through which you perceive what's, whatever is happening to you. And on the opposite, chamatkar means expanded consciousness which basically parallels with no suffering. Or even if there is suffering, as we were talking today, you can perceive it from an expanded sense of, of going, because there will be suffering. I mean, here we are not here to, to, sell, to sell you a, pro, a product of a no suffering journey, to say. I mean, technically speaking, in our tradition, our eternal prospect, there will be suffering, suffering in eternity. But there's another type of suffering. Don't get afraid. No. <laughs> because when I say suffering, we, we have our own experience of suffering, which is suffering <clears throat> outside of the realm of divine love. But even in this plane, I, I, I think all of us have an experience that you can suffer in a way that your consciousness is expanding, your heart is expanding. For example, compassion. When you are truly compassionate towards someone, you are suffering but in a way that is sweet. Let's put it like that. Srila Bhakti Rakshaksi Goswami Maharaj will say that. There is sweetness in suffering. There, that Also, it sounds contradictory. It's possible. No. He will give the example of classical Indian villages and some, somehow it's a sadhu comes and visits the village, some saintly person, and for a whole week, he will present Ramcharit, no? Ramayan. The life and deeds of Sri Ramachandra. So the whole <laughs> village every every evening gets together to hear the life from and so on, which is full of, uh, how to say, tears. <laughs> I mean, probably everyone will be crying every single night hearing that. So everyone is crying here in the Ramayana, all the dynamics with that story. And when the last day comes and the sadhu is saying goodbye and leaving, everyone starts to cry mm -hmm. because they cannot continue crying as they were doing every single evening before. <laughs> before. It sounds contradictory. You are you're like masochists. You, you want to... Con but no, it's another type of crying. It's another set of tears. I mean, tears can come, but there are, dif there are different qualities of tears. We can cry as a conditioned soul, we can cry as a sadaka, we can cry as a siddha. No? And all of them are 
categorically different sets of tears. As a conditioned soul, you can cry, suffer, and lament for that which is not worthy of lamentation, as Sila Prabhupada will put it. And we can cry, suffering, our reaction for being selfless, whatever. As a sadhaka or as a practitioner, we may be crying of healthy repentance, uh, acknowledging our shortcomings in bhakti, as Mahaprabhu will cry in the second verse of Sikshastakam, Durdaiva Midrisham Ihajanina Anurad. Oh, <clears throat> Sri Harinam has all Shakti, all mercy, all so many names, everything in those names, but Kintu, but <laughs> I'm so unfortunate due to my anarthas, I have no attraction to that. So he's crying. That's another type of crying than that of the conditioned soul. And of course, the Siddha or the perfected being will be crying from another place. You know? Divine love, divine separation. But somehow or other, we, we have to cry. Not forcingly. No, okay, I have to cry. You can go to theater school and learn to cry in one second. But we have to remain open. Like I, I was saying the other day, one devotee asked, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsvai Thakur, okay, you are talking about crying, but what if I cannot cry? You are saying we have to cry for Krishna, but what if I cannot cry for Krishna? You say, well, then you should cry because you cannot cry for Krishna. <laughs> we have to begin somewhere. Or you have to cry because you cannot cry because you cannot cry for Krishna. You find your point, your place there. So anyhow, I, I got a little bit sidetracked in this connection, but I was mentioning how Chamatkar implies an expansion of consciousness even if there is suffering. So chamatkar basically means that, to remain open, to remain, uh, how to say, to be willing to continue consider a bigger picture to what's going on around us. Even if we think I'm already considering a bigger picture, the bigger picture can always get bigger. <laughs> because again, reality is always expanding. So we have to keep the pace with reality. Reality is always becoming more and deeper and more broad. So we have to keep the pace to that on a daily basis. So this chamatkar, this astonishment exists for eternity. Rupa Goswami will describe how he will use the word adbhuta, adbhuta ras. Adbhuta means again astonishment, surprise. This is one of the assisting emotions in eternity, in the lila of Krishna, Mahaprabhu. So for eternity we are meant to experience uh, astonishment, wonder. We can say curiosity, if you will. And curiosity is an interesting point because sometimes we we lose touch with curiosity and we enter, we become too st stuck into predictable formulas. I've seen many times about this, like, and I can understand that's a, there's a place for that. You know, there's a stage in the journey that you need to receive the magical formula. You no, know? what? To, tell me what to do, and I do it. And that's it. No? I mean, I'm saved. I'm on the other side of the fence. That's it. No? I'm following my four regs, chanting my 16 rounds. At the end of this lifetime, straight to go log without a stop or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> no? In the beginning, we, we may tend to make things a little bit like automatic or like formulaic, like, which of course, at the end of the day, Krishna cares about our heart. No? Krishna is not asking a number. No, he's not. That, nobody at the end of our life will ask you how many rounds did you chant it. With this, I'm not saying do whatever you want. Try to get my point. <laughs> whatever number we are 
have committed to, we, are, we haven't committed to a number, we have committed to a quality in the context of the number. Number is secondary, quality is always primary, not only of chanting, but of whatever we are doing. Externally, we may be doing everything and anything, but Krishna is Baba Grahi Janardana, which is way more challenging. <laughs> in one sense, we will say, oh, such a relief that Krishna doesn't care for the number. Yeah, but he cares for what's going on inside of you. Oops, that's more challenging. <laughs> because I thought that just by presenting my daily quota, okay, Krishna 16, 4, 108, whatever the number, I'm putting my card, I'm doing my part. He said, no, no, I, I care for what's going on behind the number, what's going on in your heart. I'm taking only that. It's like, okay, that invites me to ask myself, what's going on in my own heart? <laughs> that, that's basically the question that, that comes back. What's going on in my own heart? Which are my motivations in bhakti? Which are my intentions? Bhakti is intentional. It's all about intention. What, what is my intention? It's not about doing stuff. <clears throat> I mean, we can do a lot of stuff externally, but what's the motivation? I mean, if you have the heart in the right place, you can attain Golok by one single act. If you don't have the heart in the right place, Krishna Daskaraj Goswami said that you can chant the Hari now for millions of lifetimes and not attain Prem. Mm -hmm. So it's not about certain quantity of stuff. It's about having the heart in the right place. Mm -hmm. And Chamatkar has a lot to do with this. Mm -hmm. Wonder, astonishment, openness. This is spirit of curiosity, not curiosity like casual curiosity, but I would like to call it committed curiosity, so to say. No, because sometimes curiosity is an excuse, so we don't commit to anyone or to anything. No, I'm curious, I'm investigating here and there and here and everywhere, but there's no commitment. No? So in this case, I'm saying the opposite. No, I commit in certain direction and I go deep into that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and curiosity is important because curiosity has a sense of humility with it. Curiosity means there is something I don't know. Because if I know everything, I cannot be curious because I already know everything. But Krishna himself is curious. So what to speak of us? He, he knows pretty much more than us. Mm -hmm. And he's curious. Sometimes we know little and we are not curious. We are We, we kind of tend to take that like as some status quo formula. Okay, I know this, as we were talking today. Sometimes it's very dangerous. I tell that sometimes to the, sometimes the Buddhists tell me, Maharaj, which book should I read? Sometimes that question is there. And first question for me is like, first question should be, should I read? Because some people do not know how to read. And I'm not saying they are like, how do you say in English? Illiterate. Illiterate. They know, they know the words. But sometimes we don't know how to take a book and extract the proper conclusion and message. Mm -hmm. We can take especially a religious spiritual book that has absolute ideas, mm -hmm. no? metaphysic, conclusive, and you can become a, a social danger with that in hand if you, don't, <laughs> if you don't know how to process this deep, wide, profound, absolute concepts. You can just take the book and oppress people, traumatize people, traumatize yourself. So before, which book to read? Maybe the question is, should I read? Should I learn how to read first? 
not because of illiterate, but because of understanding what's the point of that. I mean, Oppenheimer, the one who created the atomic bomb, when the atomic bomb was tested and exploded, he quoted the Bhagavad Gita. So he related the atomic bomb with the Gita <laughs> somehow. No? No? That's not our parampara. No? The idea of studying the Gita is not to become an atomic bomb creator, but again, you can take the book and do so many things. And indeed, the worst crimes against humanity were done in the name of God, mostly. So that shows how easily we can <laughs> misread revelation. So, so we have to be willing to acknowledge probably there is something I don't know or probably the things that I know, I may be understanding them wrongly, probably. At least remain open to that. I'm not questioning here. I'm not telling you here everything you know is wrong. You are completely delusional. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying let's keep some degree of humility and um, sobriety to be open to probably there is some things a that i don't know probably surely <laughs> and probably surely some or many of the things that i know i don't understand them or i understand them but there's so many more ways to understand them i may have the correct understanding but that doesn't mean that that's the final understanding you follow my point? Mm -hmm. Sorry to kick you out of the comfort zone with these words, but that's my mission. <laughs> Begin with beginning with myself, no? So I mean, so it's important for us. I, I know it's it's unsettling, no, to enter into a place where we don't know. And in our tradition, that's especially dangerous, I will say. Why? Because we as Gaudiya Vaishnavs on one side are totally blessed. But this beautiful theology, this ultra detailed description of everything, <laughs> of post-liberated life, who God is, where does he live, who are his people, what does he do on a daily basis from morning to, I mean, you name it, you know, the names of his ornaments. I mean, <laughs> we even know how God's earrings are not called. I mean, try to, you cannot get more specific than that. Now, what's the name of Sri Radha's Bina? What's the name of her uncle Bells? What's the name of Krishna's flute? And he doesn't only have one flute, but three varieties. And from those three varieties, you have all the sub and so on. So such a detailed amount of information. And the danger is that that may still be information for us. <clears throat> Don't forget, information is one thing. Transformation is another thing. So we can become gatherers of information, which is real, which is revealed, which is sacred, which is transcendental, but how we are processing that. Because I can just even memorize all that stuff and parrot it, copy paste. <laughs> but then in the way how I behave and relate to other people, sometimes I'm completely dysfunctional. And I've seen that a lot. And I'm not saying I'm free from that. But we run that danger of speaking very high theology and exhibiting very poor human behavior sometimes. And that's why Krishna in the, in the Bhagavatam, he's saying the highest types of devotees, they see Krishna every, everywhere, which means they relate to everywhere, to everywhere, to everyone, as if Krishna is there. Like Srila Prabhupada said, if you love God, 
No, he will say, if you love me, love my God, love my, my dog. No? Like implying, if you love someone, you will love everything that is related to that person. So the idea is, if we love God, we have to love everything related to God. And the thing is that everything happens to be related to, to Krishna. <laughs> There's nothing that is not related to Krishna. So that's, oops, no, that's tricky because... <laughs> Okay, if I love Krishna, my love for Krishna will be shown in how I relate to whatever is related to Krishna, which happens to be everything. No? So, so that's important no? that we that we remain open to we remain humble, basically. Humility means again the to begin with the the acceptance that there are some things that I don't know, there are some things that I may be understanding partially. And I'm open to learn. In the words of Srila Siddhar Maharaj, we are students forever. That's how he puts it very beautifully. We are students forever. We are not here to be gurus. We are here to be students forever. We are to enter the land of gurus. Spiritual world is a land of gurus. But even the earth is made of the higher substance that what we are made, basically. By Kuntera Pritibiyadi Mai says Chaitanya Charitamrita. In Vaikuntha, in the spiritual world, even the soil is transcendental touchstone. So basically you are invited to go there and just walk on your head instead with your feet and offering obeisances to everything. We are, we are projecting to enter into that world. So that entails remaining open to wonder, to learning, to serving. So in that sense, it's healthy. Again, what I was saying, we know so much. We have such a detailed description of everything. So very, in, in, in some way, we may think, oh, I know so much, so I know everything about God. Hmm? I know everything. I know all the details about Krishna. But as I mentioned, there is no limit to that. We are dealing with, we are dealing with infinity here. Try to understand this point. We are dealing with infinity. There are many verses in the Bhagavatam where to say that Krishna himself doesn't know his own limits. Why? Because there are no limits. So how can you know something that does not exist? <laughs> That's the logic. You cannot know something that does not exist. So Krishna doesn't know his own limits because there are no limits. <laughs> Imagine. So, And we are trying to explore that perpetually. So th th that's the very idea of, of faith. No? That's another imp another way of putting it, just before concluding. Faith is a very important word for us, hopefully, faith. But sometimes we may misunderstand what faith is. Sometimes faith, we think, is all about certainty, about being sure how things are. <laughs> but actually, faith has a lot to do with uncertainty, with being patient with mystery. Let's put it like that. Faith means patience with mystery. Reality is mysterious in many ways. I hope you agree. <laughs> if we think reality is very figurable, like I can figure that out very quickly. I know who Krishna is. This is like this, like that. Okay, be ready to go through what Brahma went and the four heads of Brahma were like that. Because Brahma had that idea. Brahma thought, I know who Krishna is. And this guy having picnic with all these boys, that's not Krishna. 
And Krishna said, are you sure? Okay, wait a few minutes. And Brahma realized at the end he did, he did his prayers, Brahma's duty, and one of the last prayers he said, those who say I know who Krishna is, and he was one of those five minutes ago, <laughs> those who say I know who Krishna is, oh, I offer my pranam to them from kilometers of distance. Like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't know who Krishna is. I don't know. I mean, I'm saying that myself now. I'm not paraphrasing Brahma. I don't know who Krishna is. I mean, I can say so many things about Krishna, but that doesn't mean I know who he is. <laughs> we have to be very careful not to feel this sense of, I already captured Krishna. I put him in the box. And that's who Krishna is. He cannot become more than that. He has to remain in my box. You have to be that, Krishna. Remain there, domesticated. <laughs> Many times we do that. When, when we pray, I write that in my book. I say, prayer, what's prayer? I start saying, what's prayer is not? And I say, prayer is not a system of God domestication. But many times, for many people, that's what prayer is. Krishna, you are this for me. You have to remain being that. And I want this, this, this. Please give me what I need. Thank you. That's prayer for some people. But that has nothing to do with the spirit of prayer, which is, again, being patient with mystery. Being able to coexist with the unknown, with those things that we don't know. Generally, we feel a little bit unsettled with the un unknowing things. Sometimes we want, generally we want answers. Many times we don't like questions. If we have questions, we want them to be answered. But sometimes a, a, real, a, a real guru, if you have a question, probably the guru will reply in such a way that it will take you to a deeper question. <laughs> Not to just closure, but further disclosure. Fall. You come with a question and maybe the answer will be in such a way that you are like, Answering, asking yourself like 108 deeper question now. <laughs> and that's Chamatkar. That's to remain in space of openness, disclosure, receptivity to what's coming. Because again, it's very easy to embrace a set of formulas of what to do, do's and don'ts, and just feel, okay, as long as I'm doing that, I'm correct, I'm safe, I'm perfect, I'm nice. I don't need to overthink too much. But the point is, in time, we may feel I'm stuck in my practice. You, I cannot tell you how many times I heard that from devotees. I feel stagnant. I feel that the juice of life is gone. And it's not that Gaudiya Vaishnavism became stale. It's obsolete. No, it's just that we need to go deeper. We need to rediscover our own tradition. That's how. That's one of the main points in my book. Okay, we are devotees, and we can remain as Vaishnavas for the right reasons, or we can remain as Vaishnavas for the wrong reasons also. There's people who live Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There's people who stay as Gaudiya Vaishnavas for the wrong reasons. And there are those who stay for the right reasons. Hopefully, we are those. Because we can also stay externally, but only because of perks. No? Okay, I have this position, this kijai this nice pressure, this whatever donation, this position, whatever it may be. That's what makes me remain in Askodya Vaishnava, but that's an external facade. 
the internal participation is another thing altogether. So, so we need to renew our participation as devotees. Basically, we, we need to rediscover our own tradition. We need to find a new version of Gaudiya Vaishnava. If we feel the need, oh, I'm stagnant. Okay, doesn't mean you need to leave your your religion. It means you need to leave a certain version of it and go deeper. Because Krishna consciousness is not just one thing. <laughs> it's so many things forever. So we have to be careful not to take Krishna consciousness for granted. Because we have a great capacity to take everything for granted. And, and, and to become accustomed to things. Something that is extraordinary ends up being ordinary. Oh, I'm, I get accustomed to living in Mayapur. I'll get accustomed to Kirtan. I get accustomed to Prashant, to Sadhu Sangha, to Bhagavata. Oh, yeah, I, I know what that is. We, sh we shouldn't never reach that point. We should always remain this extraordinary, this divine transcend. There's so much more to, to explore in each of these directions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Remember, Krishna and Krishna Bhakti is ever-evolving. It's, it's something moving. It's a moving thing. Krishna is a moving... I mean, he's... If you see Krishna, any picture of Krishna, he's not like like, like this. No, he's always in, in, in the dancing posture, in a moving posture. Mahaprabhu is a move. He's always moving. And we are part of a movement. <laughs> but movement doesn't mean a, an institution. Movement means something has to be moving. <laughs> Basically, all this movement that we are part of started with what? With the movement in Mahaprabhu's heart. Something was moving in Mahaprabhu's heart that took him to move externally and dance and celebrate. His inner movement took him to, and this external movement, and many people became captured by his movement, and a whole movement formed around that movement. <laughs> so the only way that the movement can continue developing and growing is by keeping that original inner movement moving, basically. Everything is about moving, moving, moving. Mm -hmm. And again, remaining in this humble spirit of always learning, always discovering, never being too sure that I already know what Krishna Bhakti is. <laughs> Especially if you have tons of knowledge, you have read tons of books, doesn't mean you cannot learn anything else. On the contrary. Mm -hmm. So we have to remain in that childlike spirit in Christian terms. Christ will say that. Only those who are like children will enter into heaven. Mm -hmm. Basically implying this idea. Constant wonder. Everything is new. Ever new. If you go to Shastra, you will hear this expression so many times. Navam, Navam. Nava, Nava, Navam, Navam. New and newer, ever fresh, ever new. That's a symptom of, one of the symptoms of divine love is Anurag. You may have heard about that. Anurag basically means that when Radha and Krishna meet and, and get and join and perform Lila together, after for whatever reason they are separated, maybe after... Two minutes after that, Shirad is seeing Krishna and tells Lalita, who is the beautiful blue sapphire-like boy? Oh, so enchanted. And Krishna is telling to Subal, who is that golden girl? And they are saying, she's Sri Radha. You have been with her till two minutes ago. 
no, 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 it cannot be. She's a new, who is that? It's always like the first time. Because the nature of love is it's updating itself constantly, to put it in modern parlance, <laughs> updating. Like when you have the app in the cell phone, and mm -hmm. at one point you have to upload the new version because if not, it's obsolete. You cannot work. You need to download the new version of the app. So Krishna and Radha, they're beautiful. And there is always a new download of a further version of themselves <laughs> constantly at every nanosecond. <laughs> Imagine that reality. So we are invited to enter there, that world of constant updating and upgrading. So we have to start living our lives here in a way that corresponds with what our ultimate goal looks like, basically. To be in eternal openness, eternal astonishment, eternal discipleship. Willing to learn, willing to change, willing to... Yesterday when I was coming here to... Now the, I, I came from Delhi. I was in Brindavan during Kartik. So I took a plane from Delhi to Kolkata, and <clears throat> and it was interesting. I was telling to some of you today, I was born in Argentina, so I was about to enter the plane doing the in, in the in the queue. So three people in front of me. There was someone who just was with a passport, not a Vaishnav, and I I could read Argentina. It's like generally I don't find someone from Argentina in, in a Delhi airport. So I just was like. I tapped on him and I showed my Argentinian passport. I'm like saying, okay, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he shared some words, but we we're on the queue. So it was just a few words. That's it. But I'm entering the plane and he happens to be right next to me on the seat. So I said, okay, there's something to be done here. <laughs> uh, so we sat and we were talking the whole flight together. He was a physicist, a teacher in, in, the, in Argentina, in the university, and very much. We're talking about quantum mechanics and so on and so forth. Uh, but what's very interesting, and one point that we mentioned in connection to today's talk is that sometimes a scientist, as we may disagree with some stances they may have, not necessarily all, they have a very exemplary mood in the sense of they're always open to correct their method and to learn more and to change and to discover while many times, not all, but generally, officially speaking, at least science should be performing that way. <laughs> of course, you have scientism and all this type of religious fanaticism in science, but that's another thing altogether. <clears throat> but we were talking about, yes, a, a, a scientist will be always open to chamatkar, to astonishment, to discovery, to learning, to correcting. It. So we should... Sometimes religious people, spiritual people should show that even more, but sometimes we show that quite less in the sense of having this uh, addiction to certainty, you know, wanting to have everything figured out, everything clear, all the perfect answers. And sometimes it's difficult for us to say, I don't know. <laughs> we may feel that we are losing stance by saying that. Well, it may be a very humbling healing thing to say, I don't know. Or maybe not, I don't know. Maybe you ask me something and I can have an answer. And after that, I can say, okay, that's what I had to say about that. But that's just one point in an infinite line. So I, I haven't ever tell, told you everything about that. Like if you ask me, who is Krishna? Maybe I can reply something to that for a few hours. But hopefully after that, I say, 
but that was just 0.0000001% of what can be said, and, and actually less than that. So to remain humbled about the possibility of infinity. In our tradition, we have Ananta Shesh, who is this, apart from being Hridayi Chaitanya's son, <laughs> he's also this form of Vishnu who lies, and is with thousands of unlimited mouths, is dedicated to glorify himself, basically, not in a, <laughs> not in a narcissistic way, no, but glorifying God. It's, in, it's God in the form of a servant glorifying God, let's put it like that. <laughs> unlimited mouths, eternally praising the divine. Mm -hmm. I need to say that till today, he doesn't find an end to that. The more he tries to say something, the more he realizes there is more to say. <laughs> That's interesting, no? Vedanta Sutra says something similar. The fifth aphorism says, Regarding the Absolute, we cannot say anything. In the sense of, of course, there's two ways of saying that. Don't say anything because you can never, or we can never say enough. So we can try. This is a desperate attempt we are doing here now. Harikata is a desperate attempt to say something <laughs> about that person that you can never say enough. So hopefully at the end of, of this type of presentation, we end up with this sense of so much more can be experienced and saved and served and honored and worshipped and so on. And if we reach that point, we will be... How to say? Yeah. Embracing this idea of chamatkar, astonishment for what it is. Something to be pursued, something to be honored. There's one saying in India, say namaskar. No, sorry. Chamatkar a namaskar. Which basically means whatever includes chamatkar is worthy of my namaskar. No? Whatever there's chamatkar astonishment, oh, I bow down to that. So, anyhow, a few words I want to share today regarding this idea of, of wonder and, and how to preserve that, you know, how, how to keep the our daily life, our daily practice uh, vibrant, so to say, bright, vibrant, alive, in connection to unlimited depth, unlimited possibilities, and openness, openness, never concluding, I know what Krishna consciousness is, but I'm just... Eternal student grasping at something unlimited, and and I will be forever engaged in that, and that's exciting, at least for me. So that will keep us eternally as humble eternal students. Technically speaking, we don't have any real reasons to become proud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we understand the nature of reality, we have all reasons to remain humble. <laughs> so that's it, that's it, that's it. <coughs> so that said, I don't know if before concluding anyone will have anything to, would like to share any questions you may have, some doubts, something you may like to present. Yes, what's your name? Nityananda Ram. Nityananda Ram, De Colombia. Probably. Colombia, okay. Okay, Maharaj, um, I wonder that from the point of view, what is the role Bonafide guru have in the sukriti of a particular devotee. I mean, uh, 
the opportunity to have a modified guru. What is the importance in the life of the devotee? Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> bona fide guru. What's the importance of a bona fide guru in the life of a devotee, basically? Yes, that regarding to Sukriti, I mean, to extend a little bit more, that Sukriti we acquire by different lives and different situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that Sukriti allow us to have a specific diksha and siksha guru. Mm -hmm. So, I wonder, Thank you. Uh, what is the impact that has a Sukriti in the opportunity mm. to have a modified guru? Maybe you have to explain first what is a modified guru. Before. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll summarize a little bit because, of course, that question deserves like a one week seminar or something because. I mean, that's a lot, that's beautiful, and there's lots to say. So, uh, what's a bona fide guru? Well, first we, we should go to what the scriptures say about the main attributes of a guru, and you have the main verses in Shastra about that. Bhagavatam tasmat gurum prapadita jiknyasu sriya utamam sabdi parichanishnatam brahmanyu pasamasrayam Gita Tadvidi Pranipatena Variprasnena Sivaya Padekshantite Gyanam Gyanastatta Darsina. And then you have two Upanishads Tadvigyanatam Sagurumeva Bhigachet Samit Panitra Triam Brahmanishtam. Basically, those three verses say the same thing in different ways, which is the Guru has knowledge of Shastra and realization of that knowledge, which will play itself out in the form of a a balanced, uh, controlled mind, balanced character, personality that you can relate to. Because a guru will be guiding people, so you have to relate to that person. Someone is an abadut living in a cave. That person may be extremely eccentric, but that person is not interacting with society. So that's that's okay. But if you accept the role of guiding people, you have to be able to deal with the other people's <clears throat> humanity, realities, vulnerability, I will say. I will say that one qualification of the guru is he or she, just in case, <laughs> has to uh, be a balanced human being. Because sometimes you can have lots of knowledge and even spiritual advancement, but there, have, there may be some unintegrated human issues, unresolved psycho-emotional layers that get in the way of the relationship between the guru and the disciple sometimes. Have some first-hand experiences that myself. <laughs> I won't enter into my unauthorized biography now. So, but basically, yeah, guru has to be, to put it, I mean, I'm being very reductionistic, but what Shastra say has to have knowledge of Shastra, and that's deep knowledge. And deep knowledge, again, it's not just a theoretical thing. Guru has to have common sense, as we were talking. I mean, we have Guru Shastra Sadhu. These are pramanas. But I would say common sense has to be also a very important thing. Because, again, we can quote Shastra from tip to toe. But if there is no common sense in between, you can quote Shastra to justify anything. 
We'll have a full lecture about this tomorrow. We'll have, we will have one lecture dedicated to Guru Tadva. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I'm just letting you know. Because you call Sila Sila Maharaj, mm -hmm. I remember he saying sometimes that Bonafide Guru must have the potency to bring you to the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So that is my question regarding to that. How can find here in this material world somebody who can hmm. bring us to have the potency to bring you to the spiritual world? Mm -hmm. There are many things we can say. There are different things that Srila Siddhar Maharaj said. Srila Siddhar Maharaj also said that because sometimes <clears throat> we may think, okay, Guru has to be the topmost devotee in Uttam Bhagavat. But also then the question also comes, okay, even if that's the case, how do you know who is in Uttam Bhagavat? Unless you are in Uttam Bhagavat. Mm -hmm. Generally, nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> you follow. Many people will say, he's in Uttam Bhagavat. And if I ask, how do you know? Not challenging, but just how do you how can you prove you know, some thermometer, Uttam Bhagavat or whatever? Many times it's not because everyone says that he's an Uttam Bhagavat. Mm -hmm. Or because he once gave a class and made me feel something. So for me, that means he's an Uttam Bhagavat. Okay, that's your interpretation and faith. It's okay. But my point is there's not like the thermometer. To measure that, or sometimes the bodhis will say, the gurus need to see that, eternally liberated. Again, my question is, how you know? How do you know? How can we establish that? I'm not saying it cannot happen. I'm just saying we have no way to establish that. And also the question is, what makes you feel the need feel the need to establish the gurus need to see that? Because sometimes in the background, we need mm -hmm. the guru to be as high as it can, as a way just to feel... I'm connected with the highest of the highest. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's an ego thing. I'm not saying in every case, but that happens a lot also. My guru is the topmost Uttam Bhagavad, Mahabhagavad liberated soul in the whole planet Earth. And I happen to be a disciple of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, many but times. I can be the mother of fat. Sorry? I can be a mother of fat. What? I mean, I mean what? it's like a king, you know. A king can give. Uh, can give whatever you know to somebody because that is the king capacity. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the point. Maybe but they have that Uttamadikai guru, <coughs> you have more chance to obtain the spiritual platform because his potency. That is also uh, the mercy of the guru. Yeah, but I think that it's important to understand one point is you can let's say that even if discarding what I say, that we may not know who is in Uttam Bhagavad and all that. Let's say that your guru is the highest type of devotee. <laughs> like Siddha Prabhupada. So, like, but the point, the point is, how? what do we do with that as disciples? <laughs> because my guru can be an Uttam Bhagavad, but what do I do with that? If, if I do not do my part as disciple, I, I'm I'm not taking too much advantage of that. And someone else may have a guru who is not so highly, but is sincere and the, and the disciple is very surrendered, very dedicated, and that person is making more advancement. 
even if their guru is not as advanced as the other gurus. So my point is not like, my point is it's not black and white. One might get the highest guru, but the actual question is where I am myself as a disciple. That's a big, because I've seen also a lot, we are looking for, and I'm not saying this is your case or anyone's here, I'm just saying in general, sometimes we look for the highest guru like a way of relaxing ourselves as disciples mm -hmm. because I have the highest guru. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to do your work as a disciple. Uh, so there are diff things related to your point. No, it's not. Yeah, but I think the, if you permit, yeah, of course. Good answer can be through the. Uh, would you say that we have a diction guru and we have to seek a guru? <laughs> we have a diction guru. Maybe good guru can give you initiation, but the most important is the, the siksha guru. Mm -hmm. Because in this Siksha Guru, we have very high Uttama Dikari Vaishnavas. Mm -hmm. right? We have in all those mm -hmm. So, my point is that it's more important the Siksha Guru than the Diksha Guru, let's say. <coughs> uh, um, don't, it's not the most important matter of the Diksha Guru you have, but the Siksha Guru you follow. Mm -hmm. Can I just ask you, what is your question? I don't understand your question. What is exactly the question? Well, so I initially the question was one, but it was transforming because the okay. conversation, okay? Yeah, yeah, we um, touched the point. point. More than the question, the point. Okay. The point The point is to just to try to just share that. It's, it's very important uh, the the matter that uh, the Diksha Guru, we can find many Diksha Guru because according to the time, circumstance, play we have, um, the time we arrive to Krishna consciousness, we have a Diksha Guru, any Guru representing Sila Prabhupada or any other modified line. But the most important is when you get your Siksha line and you get the instruction for the Uttama Dikari Guru. That's all. Again, what is the question? There isn't a question. You're saying a statement? Or there's yeah. Initially, yeah. Was, yeah. initially yeah. was a question and ah. bring to that statement. Oh. Ah, okay. <laughs> Okay. Because the same question in the development mm -hmm. goes to this statement. <clears throat> Thank you. For yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. In connection to Srila Siddhar Maharaj, what you mentioned, he will say, <clears throat> someone asked him once, who is most important, the Diksha Guru or the Siksha Guru? Of course, sometimes the Diksha Guru is the Siksha Guru, traditionally or ideally, but of course, we know that there can be. Diksha Guru and Siksha Guru. But someone asked him, who is more important, Diksha Guru or Siksha Guru? And he said, the one who is helping you the most. <laughs> so he replied basically with common sense. Like in, in whatever the particular case is helping us the most, can be a Diksha Guru, can be a Siksha Guru. Like not to create like a force, like hierarchy, you know, like necessarily this will be most important because it can change in the journey also, no? as you mentioned, someone, mm -hmm. so someone will be more prominent in some chapter of my journey. And at the end, it brings us to the land of Guru. Exactly. Everybody. And we will honor all. Everybody who helped yeah. us in this path is Siksha Guru. Exactly. You ultimately, everything is Guru, no? But Especially here. But we have to begin, yeah, somewhere. And one more thing that Sila Siddhamar said that I like going back maybe to the first part of our conversation was, he will say, and I like that a lot, he will say, Guru is another, we can say who is Guru, so many things we can say, but he said, 
Guru is your own potential appearing in front of you. I like that definition. A guru is your own potential, all that you can be appearing, embodied in front of you and inviting the disciple to become that. That's the commitment. No, That's the invitation. But I think it's a nice way of also describing what the guru is and, of course, what's our part as students in connection to what we are receiving. The guru is showing us all that we can be, our own potential. No. I think the matter of studying, you will follow, and I don't know, this is at the, the beginning of some class, something. You can quote Sivuru, Sivuru of his way, Maharaj, he has a very beautiful you know, understanding about the world, that what he made his book, Sivuru mm -hmm. of his way, mm -hmm. very nice mm -hmm. to share. No. Thank you. Something else, yeah. Um, Chaitanya Charitamrita begin speaking about, speaking about this. Plural. The first chapter is spiritual master and uh, Krishna Kaviraj Goswami explained there is no difference between Siksa and Vishwami. This is the more important point of the first chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mm. Yeah, one sense, of course, I don't think there is a contradiction in what we are saying. Mm. No, There is like the guru is ultimately guru is one. No? There is unity. The guru tattva guru, department. Guru is Krishna. Mm -hmm. Krishna exactly. Gives power to Samasti power guru. To, to help each other. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think um, I think he wanted to say something first. Yeah. I'm thinking you know, when, when we lost our chamat karish and really happy, <laughs> then now we have to find out like uh, <laughs> and reflect what have we done or what have we what have we not done. Mm -hmm. suggest like a like a kind of a checklist that we can go through to see what we might be doing or not doing that could be causing us to mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah thank you for the question so <clears throat> yeah something that comes to mind for example regarding one classical example maybe with chanting chanting japa for example sometimes i've heard the devotees mm -hmm. saying okay i'm chanting but it's being done mechanically and I don't feel anything, and I'm just like going with the motions. And of course, there's no and there's no chamatkar. There's no vibrant, ever fresh, ever new experience. And of course, one of the questions that we are invited to ask ourselves is: pay attention to how I'm chanting. As as simple as that sounds, of course, what I'm saying. But sometimes we we forget to do that. No, we end up chanting and doing something else while chanting. As basically as it sounds, when you are chanting, you shouldn't be doing anything else apart from chanting. <laughs> because our mind cannot do two things at the same time. We cannot chant Harinam and, I don't know, hear Harikata and, I don't know, check the cell phone at the same time. And it's not possible. We are kind of diverting our absorption. And the idea of sadhana is to create absorption. Rupa Goswami describes sadhana bhakti as something that has to take us to abesh. Abesh means absorption, where the mind is like focused. So one checklist in that sense will be how, how I'm chanting and also with what orientation I'm chanting. What idea do I have in my mind when I'm chanting? What, what I... What I 
consider that I'm doing in that moment. <laughs> Something that, at least for me, it helps a lot is before starting to chant, it's just spend a few minutes like meditating what I'm supposed to do now. What's the name of Krishna? It's Krishna. No, remembering some basic facts, but putting in place, okay, who am I? Who is Krishna? What's in the name? What's the ideal spirit to, to open my heart to the name, to give myself to that? No? Uh, like a mental checklist of how to address the, the chant before, because if not, I may start in autopilot. Like, <laughs> and it's like, okay, lost. That's it. You started in the wrong place and generally it may take some time to no so ideally okay before starting like put what i'm going to do now what's the weight of this what's the chamat car what's the uniqueness the extraordinariness of this thing that i do every day and because i do something every day there's the danger of falling into us we were talking today catatonic repetition <laughs> no? We can end up just catatonically rep repeating something. And when you repeat something in a catatonic way, generally creates numbness. It doesn't create like chamatkar. You follow. So it's dangerous because we are repeating the same mantra every day. So that's that's beautiful. I'm not saying it's dangerous, but it's dangerous if we do it mechanically because it can create real numbness, real unconsciousness. We are supposed to engage in Krishna consciousness, not in Krishna unconsciousness. <laughs> but for that, we have to engage in these things, not in a catatonic, mechanical, autopilot way. And something that helps for that is before starting, again, make your checklist, remind, meditate, pray, and what I'm supposed to do now. What's this? Why I'm doing that? That's also healthy for me. Why? Not, not because I'm questioning the, the quality of the practice, just questioning the nature of my approach. <laughs> Why I'm chanting? Why I'm serving the Vaishnavas? To find real reasons to continue doing that. I'm not just doing that because I have to, because someone else is doing, because I don't know why. <laughs> so I think it's a healthy exercise to question that deeper and deeper. Uh, that can be also something important. And needless to say, to try to keep the association of those that we feel we perceive they are really dynamic and living into all the things, you know, that they are really concerned with keeping the experience of Krishna consciousness something vibrant, alive, dynamic, and not just like a formula that you can just ingest, memorize, repeat accordingly, and receive the the donation and whatever. <laughs> no, but being willing to challenge yourself into deeper ways and levels and rediscovering everything at every step. No, so one needs association for that also because if not, you can one can look for an association that keeps you in the comfort zone, and you are validated by the environment to remain as you are forever. And that's your choice also. But that's why Rupa Goswami, when he says. Uh, speaks of Sadhu Sangha, he qualifies Sadhu Sangha with three words. Hmm? Swatavara, Swajatya, Snigdasya, which means like-minded, like-minded, same species, birds of the same feather flocking together, like-minded, Snigdasya, affectionate, and Swatavara, of a high, higher than you also. 
higher, more elevated. I mean, not it's not that everyone will be more elevated, but you have to keep contact with people who is deeper. So they are inviting you to, to that place as well. No? Some words, of course, more can be said, but something to me. Yeah. Okay, one more question. I don't want to make it too late. So, okay. yeah. Just really quick. It's just yeah. more of a, it's more of a um, <clears throat> identification. So I really appreciate um, this talk tonight. Thank you so very much for your words and your everything. Um, and what I really, for me, what I can really take with me on this is have the mind of a beginner always and keeping it green instead of another word. I remember your words. And um, <clears throat> I'm really uh, grateful to, to have been able to sit here and listen to what you have to say. Um, this kind of association um, and this kind of a way of looking at bhakti, yes, traditionally, but also digging deeper. Um, this is something, if no one in this room benefited, I benefited from it. So I just wanted to tell you that, and I thank you. And uh, with gratitude, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And <laughs> I also benefited from that, of course. I mean, I. I speak Harikata also for my own purification. No, I'm not here trying to redeem all of you. To begin with is hopefully to give pleasure to Bhagavan first, second, to purify my own heart. And if as a byproduct of that, someone else may be nourished, inspired, that's that's Bhagavan's grace. <laughs> but okay, I agree with that. Let's keep, yeah, we become, we belong to such an ancient tradition, but again, ancient tradition doesn't mean that there cannot be update and upgrade and, and, and deeper and deeper dynamics. It's not that it's something, a museum piece fixed in time and you have to just pirate that. I mean, we have to become pirates in the way Sukadev Goswami is a pirate, that they say they pick on a fruit and it make it sweeter. <laughs> so there are two ways of being a pirate, just pirating or biting the fruit and making it sweeter. No? That's the pirate we want to be. That's it. The Bhagavatam parrot, so to say. <laughs> so we, we are meant to follow that, you no, know, trying to to embrace embrace higher and higher degrees of of sweetness, basically, but because that's who Krishna is. Some, someone becoming sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, and we're trying to keep pace with that increase of sweetness eternally. <laughs> no, there is too much. You no, know, that just to conclude, what comes to mind is <clears throat> this beautiful verse composed by Rupa Goswami about probably is one of maybe my favorite verse on, on the holy name and it says tundi tandavini ratimbitanute tundavali labdaye karna krodha karambini ghatayate sarnarbudhevya spriham chitra prangana sangini vijayate sarvendriyanam kritim no jan Oh, there is so much nectar in these two syllables, Krishna, Krishna.
So basically, this the spirit, like desperate, bad. 